0: Good day, everyone. I am Matt Harrison, and you are listening to the GiriCast Plus on Sport Direct Radio, the bonus Malaga fan podcast for all the Giris out there. Again, with these bonus episodes, it gives us a nice little chance to deviate from the usual format. And today we're going to head over to South America. We're not going to go to the usual footballing suspects of Argentina or Brazil, but we're going to a country where football is growing rapidly, certainly in the last 20 years. Of course, that has benefited Malaga as we have taken several Venezuelan players over the last decade or so. First of all, I'll introduce my usual giri casters, Chris Marquez. Chris, how are you? I'm doing very well, Matt. How are you? I am excellent. It's a very, very nice day here in Marbella. (laughs) Nice day to sit inside and do a podcast. Um, And also, I believe it's a bit rainier in England, Alex, but how are you?
1: Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, it's tipping it. Well, actually, no, it's just stopped. So the weather's on the up.
0: Excellent stuff. But obviously, as I said, we're going to be talking all things Venezuelan football and tying it all back to Malaga. But who better to talk all things Venezuela with? than the author of the superb Red Wine and Arepas, How Football is Becoming Venezuela's Religion. We're delighted to be joined by Jordan Florit. Jordan, how are you doing?
2: Very well, thank you. A uh, pleasure to, to come on and talk about not just Venezuelan football, but also its uh, connections with Malaga, which I think in terms of Spanish football are perhaps unrivaled in the in the past 10 years.
0: Yeah, we're looking forward to getting I've been very excited since I've read your book and as you can see, I've got my Venezuela shirt on. I've, I've... And there's a certain Malaga player which I adore, which I'm sure the other two are very bored of listening to me talk about him. But we'll get to him later. Um, before I come to you, Jordan, I'm going to go to the other two first and just ask Chris and Alex. Um, do you know much about Venezuelan football at all?
1: I can't say I know anything really, <laughs> apart from they have
3: had players that have played for Malaga. Chris?
0: I don't know. I,
3: don't know. I know the players who played for Malaga.
0: Yeah. Okay. Th- that's about it. That's cool. That that's cool. So this would be an educational journey for you. Um, I read um Jordan's book. It was excellent. Uh, you know, let's just throw it out there. The other two haven't. Sorry, Jordan, but we're gonna. I'm gonna that's give right. you the chance to sell it to them today. So first of all, Jordan, I suppose the big question here is obviously you are not Venezuelan. You're from the south of England. Yes.
2: Yeah. Yeah. From Southampton.
0: And so, how was someone from Southampton ended up? going to Venezuela, writing a book about it, and, and why, I suppose. Why Venezuela?
2: Yeah, so so Venezuela, why Venezuela in particular, um, it is probably because it was just one of the, the lesser-known footballing countries in South America, but my reason to have an interest in South America at all was sort of underpinned by um, my granddad, who was Spanish from Mallorca, um, and I lost contact with my Spanish family when I was about nine years old, and my parents um, divorced, and it took me a lot of, um, well, it took me many years to sort of come to terms with losing that part of my identity. Because growing up, I'd go to my my grandparents' weekends, and my granddad would always have Spanish music on Spanish TV, spoken Spanish a lot, always on the phone to relatives. Uh, and you know, I then a couple of years later, I was like the 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 kid at school that was, you know, had a Spanish background, but didn't speak Spanish or anything, it, I just I just lost it because it was such a, a clean, well, not a clean divorce, but because the, 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 it was such a clean cut separation, I lost all contact with my Spanish family um, and, and massively lost that part of my identity and football was sort of how I went about regaining it, um, you know, watching Spanish football and ultimately ending up watching South American football, which just has that raw passion and, and energy that I think European football is, is losing or in some parts has already lost. Uh, and sort of South America became the way back into learning Spanish through the commentary um, and, and just feeling closer to like Spanish culture. I just ended up preferring South American Spanish and culture to, to Spanish language and culture. Um, obviously, they share the same language, but there's plenty of, of variation in the culture and even how the language is used. And I I sort of just began reading a lot about South America, not just football. Uh, and when you got to Venezuela, I started reading about Venezuela. All the books were about Hugo Chavez and the revolution, or maybe Simón Bolívar, the you know the um, the the liberator uh, as he's known. Um, so there was just nothing on English and Venezuelan football when I was reading about Venezuela, which was back in like 2012, 13. Uh, and the, what sort of made me increasingly interested in Venezuela is when I met my girlfriend now my wife um, who just had this this interest in, in Venezuelan culture and music that was just alien to me. She's completely English, but throughout secondary school, her best friend um, was a Venezuelan girl uh, whose father was a, an English diplomat. Uh, and she'd gone to uh, a, a school um, with my with my girlfriend in London, and they became very good friends. So when I moved in with my girlfriend, um, and suddenly, like, it was reggaeton music on, she was mm-hmm. cooking her first she had this interest in Venezuela, and I was just like, hang on a minute, like you know, South America is my thing, why do you know more than me? And it sort of was like, it it spurred me on to to start reading more about Venezuela and getting to know it, and like I say, this was back in 2012, so my interest in Venezuelan football was really massively underpinned by an interest in Venezuela, like the interest in football didn't come for like another five years.
0: Yeah, um, and the book itself, I think it's as much a a commentary on Venezuelan society, history as it is. um, Football, it's it, it's very 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 detailed. It's it's very impressive how you've written it. Um, and actually, I agree with what you just said about perhaps it has something European football doesn't because I've I've read your book and then recently I read uh, Tears at La bonbonera and you know having been denied going to football for so long. It's made me really, really, really want to go watch football in South America in sometime in the near future. But, um, well, let's just go. Let's talk about the book then. So you've said how how you came to write the book and why. But, you know, like I said, these two haven't read the book. How how would you explain the book? Because it's it's great.
2: (laughs) Um, So it it really I've always wanted to write a book. Um, it was sort of like a loose life goal, but I was never going to just sit down, brainstorm ideas and think, yeah, I like that one that's come out of a book. I wanted a, an idea to grab me up very naturally. And I've been like freelance writing about football for, for like 10 years. Um, like, I'm a, a copywriter and editor in my day job anyway, but i um, away from football. Uh, and in two- early 2019, I wrote an article about um, Christian Casarelli Jr., and the Venezuelan youth uh, national teams that have had good success uh, in the in the past decade, increasingly so since two thousand seventeen. And um, this one article, I had always avoided writing about um, Venezuelan football uh, because I tended to avoid writing about Venezuela. Reason being is, as a freelance writer, I was sort of just didn't want to alienate anyone that regularly read my stuff because obviously Venezuela is one of those topics that everyone seems to have an opinion on like even if they don't know much about Venezuela it's one of those things that people take one side or the other even if they're clueless um Mm. that's just something it is like I guess topically you could say the same about Israel and Palestine like somebody always is one or the other even if they have no real understanding or knowledge um so I'd avoided writing about Venezuela for that very reason um and then in 2019 I wrote this article um and I wanted to oh I didn't want there to be um any like political commentary and i wanted it to purely be about the football but equally sometimes you have to say something to contextualize something and I, i i just wrote this one line um because when i wrote the article as always happens with venezuela between starting writing the article and publishing it something changed and i couldn't like not include that in the article and what that was is um rafael dudamel the then manager um he welcomed um, Juan Guaido's ambassador in Spain. They were playing Argentina in Spain um, in 2019. Uh, and then photos uh, sort of leaked of that meeting. And obviously, Bell had to make uh, a comment and offered his resignation, um, saying, you know, these photos were taken in private. We asked for them not to go public. But how it looked to the outside world is he was sort of welcoming Juan Guaido's ambassador when obviously Nicolas Maduro is, is the president, regardless of your views on that. Um, so I included, like, a couple of lines in the article um, and alluding to Juan Guaido just self-declaring as president and, and how that was sort of like almost like an alien concept uh, concept in Europe. And somebody I'm now really good friends with, Dominic Jose Bessonio, who co-runs for The English with me, uh, a Venezuelan living in Minnesota, picked me up on that comment Um and he was right to do so. Like, in my attempt to not include any politics in it too heavily, my comment ended up being a bit throwaway. Um, and I was like, well, if I'm going to write about Venezuelan football, like, I need to write about everything. Um, and I had, off the back of that article, had plenty of Venezuelan offers use with, with players or clubs or giving me topics that I should write about and just being grateful that somebody was writing about Venezuelan football in English. Um, so that's how the genesis, the idea of the book, started to come together. Um the more interviews I was offered, I was like, well, I can do something more than just a couple of articles. This could be the book that I've always wanted to write.
0: Yeah, definitely. And it's it's, uh, it's really cool the way it's structured as well because um, it's sort of a mix of, I don't know, like essays about Venezuelan football and then there's interviews with, like you, you talked about, uh, Hugo Chavez. I think you interview his brother in one chapter, if I remember rightly, who's the president of Zamora, I think, if I remember yeah. rightly. Um, and then it's also part travel log, which are the bits like I love reading travel writing so they're the bits I enjoyed the most so um what was that was it sort of a conscious decision to write the book that way or did it just sort of flow naturally
2: it, it 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 was like uh, it was definitely like something that flowed naturally like I was going to sort of I knew what I wanted to do with the book I sort of had the the values that I wanted to stick to through writing the book and that that was more important to me than particularly sticking to any kind of structure or trying to replicate Uh, book that I've read previously like James Montagu and Jonathan Wilson uh, like my favourite football writers Um, I I didn't set out to emulate their writing but like I think it's evident from what people have said to me yourself included yesterday like people Wilson in the the style I wrote like that for me that's a massive compliment um, and really he's one of my favourite writers but what guided me more is what I wanted to achieve with the book Um, and I I wanted to speak to as many people from all parts of Venezuelan life as possible and not censor what anyone said. All I was going to do was contextualize, like as long as what, Somebody was saying wasn't insulting or offensive, uh, or like you know inciting hatred. I was going to allow them to say it, and I was going to include it in the book. The only thing that I promised myself was that I contextualize it. So anyone that reads it will see that it's quite a heavily footnoted book. Um, and one thing that I did with that is I had footnotes, not end notes, because I know, like, well, I know there's always going to be people that won't even bother reading footnotes. But at least what I wanted to do is if I was uh, including someone's opinion um, that was political in any way that I then contextualised it in the footnotes so there was clarity, background, and context. And like, that's why I did footnotes, so it was there on the same page to see alongside rather than endnotes. Um, so I, was, I didn't really set out with a structure. I know that I wanted to let people speak uh, and tell their stories, and that sort of led into me not actually doing too much planning with the book. Um, like, for example, I, I didn't prepare too much for interviews. I just made sure I knew the basics about a person Um, that I was interviewing but I wasn't going to like heavily research that person read other interviews they've done etc etc because I didn't want to just replicate an interview that's been done previously Uh, and another thing I did was like I encouraged interviewees to talk about what they wanted to talk about so I had like one or two questions to kick start with but then very quickly I basically tried to get into well what do you want to speak about like what's important to you about Venezuela yeah
0: and and like throughout the whole book there's Um, it's generally quite like thrilling in sections like there's the bit when you arrive and they take you you take over a whole bag full of football shirts to give out to charities there don't you and it gets taken off you by the authorities and then there's a bit when you're uh, you crash in the Andes and um yeah it's generally sort of it is a bit of a thriller in places as well but then there's some some really nice stories in there like um there's the uh, oh, was it Victor, the disabled lawyer who works for the league, um, and the league appoint him. And that, that story is amazing. There's um, the young girl, um, I've got her name down here because I've forgotten it Al- 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 Albelis. Albelis. Albelis and you like help her mother so she can play football, basically. Um, what would you say was sort of the the highlight of. Because actually, one thing I did want to ask, how long were you there for? Because there seems to be a lot packed into quite a short amount of time. Yeah. I barely
2: <laughs> photo of me when i left venezuela and i just look absolutely ruined like (laughs) yeah i think i was like 20 how old was i when i left like i think i was 20 i'm 27 now i think i was 25 but i like look like i'm 15 like (laughs) what's like red stressed skin but i barely slept so i was i was in venezuela the part of the book where i went there to research for 15 days um but like it was about 12 months of research from the uk constantly on the phone video interviews phone calls etc but my time in Venezuela was was like a really intense 15 days where I
0: probably <laughs> slept like three or four hours a night max. I was going to say there's a lot fitted in to those 15 days, judging from the book. Um, what was your perhaps uh, like? Maybe what was your most eye-opening moment, and perhaps what was your highlight of that trip? I know that's probably quite a difficult question. So, <laughs> yeah, I
2: think um, for uh, for for footballing reasons, I think my my favourite moment. Um, was actually when I went with the the batter of Caracas, the like the the yeah. ultras, if yeah. you like. The fact um, I went to this uh, this like multi purpose football court in the middle of like a Venezuelan council estate, if you like. Um, on my my second night in in Venezuela, uh, and we were there to you know see the outreach work that this banner did and like football in the community at, at grassroots and. These kids playing in this. Uh, I, there was a photo of it in the book that I think was my favourite photo of the uh, that I took when I was out there. But this like nice, lovely cork surrounded by high rises that like you know all the ki- all the kids flock down to each night for community run sessions. And speaking to the batter about their fan culture and and what Caracas football club means to them. And they brought their drums and their trumpets and they started playing their songs and it sort of turned into a bit of a party atmosphere. Um, and I, I got a bit teary, like it was emotional. Like I I don't. Like, I like football for everything around it. Like yeah. it, if if somebody asked me to list what I like about football, the game would, what like watching a game would be like pretty low down on my on my priorities. Mm. I love everything that goes on around it. Um, like I, I hate it when anyone asks me to write a match report because I just yeah. find it so boring. Yeah. It just doesn't interest me at all. So that was my favourite footballing moment, and it was still not a game. And then I think my most eye-opening moment um, was the night at Kevin's flat where Eliani, the the uh, law student, told me about the night she was shot. Um, that was just crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, on my first night in Caracas, I just saw a member of the public with like a gun tucked into his back pocket. Mm-hmm. And for somebody that, you know, I've been, on ho- I've been on holiday outside of Europe a few times, but for somebody that was born and raised in England, I'd never seen a gun that wasn't on a, a police officer or a soldier. So to see just a member of the public with this like, Pistol hanging out in his back pocket was terrifying, and then like two days later, just a normal person telling me how they were shot at a carnival by accident. And you know, for 12 hours, she was out. <laughs> yeah, just crazy, just absolutely crazy.
0: Yeah, um, and then just we'll start like going towards uh, Malaga stuff shortly, but you've just mentioned him now um, a minute ago. Um, the star of the book's got to be Kevin, your your friend who sort of takes you around. Please tell me you're still friends with him. He just sounds like the best person in the world. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, We talk every day. Like he he barely ever leaves my like uh, number one <laughs> or most frequent contacts on WhatsApp. We like we just talk daily. He translated the book uh, into Spanish. <laughs> um, as of as of yesterday is is ready. Um, it will go to print later in the week. Uh, and yeah, he's he's just he's such a great guy. Like we. It wouldn't have been the same without him. Like, intent, uh, originally, the intention was only for him to accompany me whilst I was in Caracas. Um, he wasn't going to be coming around the rest of the country with me. Uh, you know, I went to five different um, cities and states, and it was only on the last day in Caracas that uh, I convinced him to come with me because he had taken a week out of uni to be with me, full stop. Um, and then I took him out of uni for another week uh, hmm. to stay with me. But I'm just so pleased I did. Like, I hate to think what the book would be if. We didn't make that decision if I went alone because it was it. Was, it became this like narrative of, of Kevin and I just keep keep going, keep going. Like every time something went wrong, we we're just like, oh, you know, it's okay, it's for the book. Like it's gone wrong, but what we intended. But you know, this is Venezuela.
0: Yeah, when, when I used to write, um, I used to write a blog called Lost Bios where I used to travel around watching football. I lived in Central Europe for a while and, and any times anything went wrong, I used to say, this will make a good blog. That was always the way I used to convince myself. And there you go, Alex, it being written into Spanish now. So maybe you can read her in Spanish to help with your Spanish studies. Um, and then, Yeah, I'd be, yeah I'd definitely be too. <laughs> there you go. And, and obviously, you know, extra sales there for you as well, Jordan. Um, so, like, obviously you went, you visited lots of these clubs in, um, how do you say the league? foot, foot there? Yeah, Liga Footwear. Yeah, Liga Footday. Um Obviously, you talk a lot in the book, and we talked on our podcast quite recently, actually, about uh, Mahias because apparently he could have been a really good baseball player, but he ended up playing football. And you mentioned in the book how big baseball is there. Um, is football usurping baseball at the moment? And how is the league doing... Like especially the way the world is at the moment with COVID yeah. and stuff.
2: Well, but by participation numbers uh, in kids, both both boys and girls, football is now the most participated in sport, um, and I, I'd say it's the most popular sport in in Venezuela. It's still quite regionalized in the sense that if you go to certain areas of Venezuela, um, there'll be next to no interest in football; It'll be entirely baseball. Um, but I think in general. It's safe to say that Venezuela is now a football nation. Uh, obviously, baseball never loses its importance and its traditional place in Venezuelan history. Um, but yeah, I think football is, is usurping baseball now. Um, the 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 thing that's sort of holding... Well, one of the things that's holding football back in Venezuela right now uh, is just still the fact that obviously the economy is, is on its knees, but even if it if it wasn't, even if you go back to like the 2000s when oil money was just a wash in the country uh the copper america aside when they hosted it in 2007 you know not much money went into football because there was just there was not the tradition and understanding that it was a valuable uh, commodity almost and a product which we're seeing in europe now football is a, a product um and so all the money was still going into to baseball
0: okay and, ov- and obviously that um like you say how fo- the book is called how football is becoming a religion in Venezuela and obviously it's growing there um is, is there like what has perhaps prompted this influx of Venezuelans into Europe because when I was a kid I I you know I couldn't name you a single Venezuelan football I could probably name you the whole squad now because um I think we mentioned we were chatting in our group chat the other day um that the Copa America squad has all European based players now I'm right in saying yes
2: yeah so Venezuela uh, the Venezuelan Football Federation, as always, uh, was a bit disorganised with that. So they released midweek that their, their 34-man preliminary squad, um, and it was an entirely overseas-based team. 18 of the 34 in Europe, none of them were from Venezuela itself. Uh, and everyone was going on about, you know, for the first time in history, the Venezuelan team will be based entirely of, of overseas players. And then the next day, the Venezuelan Football Federation released like an extra 15-man squad Purely of Venezuelan players, but the likelihood of any of them making a final squad, it, it, I would say, is, is pretty low. If one creeps in, it will be most likely a left back because Venezuela is still short of left backs. Um, but yeah, like it, it's it's certainly going to be heavily dominated by. Uh, we, we had
0: we had uh, a lot of um, yeah we we had a Venezuelan left back at Malaga last season, which maybe we'll talk about shortly because we weren't as. Uh, biggest fans um and obviously like I think you alluded to it earlier that there's been a lot of success at youth level they did get to the under 20 world cup final and lost to England um who were managed by Swansea City manager Steve Cooper um what sort of do you think that was something that maybe pushed Venezuela towards being a football country or was it already established as a football country then
2: yeah I think it was it was it was pretty much um, established within within Venezuela. I think the the visibility that that tournament gave Venezuela as a football nation uh, was huge particularly because they were up against England in the final so you know England although now with the Brexit gone through and the work permit situation massively affecting things um, you know playing England in a final is going to get you a lot of attention. And a lot of those players um, have done really well for themselves. A few of them were already playing outside of Venezuela previous to that tournament. Um, but since that tournament, all but one player uh, of that under-20 Venezuelan team has gone on to play overseas, um, with, the, with many in Europe. Um, so that, that tournament was probably like the latest in a string of, of touch points that you can say have contributed to its, its growing reputation.
0: Yeah, as we are a Malaga podcast, we'll try and swing it back around to Malaga. I'm going to come to you for this, Chris, because we're going to talk about who is the greatest Venezuelan footballer ever. Um, But I'm going to ask you first, because we're going to talk about Rondon. Do you you want to say some nice things about Rondon?
3: Well, you just said it. (laughs) (laughs) The best Venezuelan footballer
0: is Rondon, for me. And can you perhaps, because obviously this was before my Malaga times, Um, can you perhaps even for me, like how... How is he seen in Malaga and what sort of impact did he have on the team
3: he didn't score a lot of goals but he has seen uh, he's been seen as the as the I think yeah how can you say it? <laughs> like a big talent a big Venezuelan talent um, strong good with his head and I think it's the it's it's the first player that left for a bigger club in the last decade of Malaga.
0: Yeah, because he got sold before the Champions League season, am I right yes. in saying? Yeah, which I think was, I don't know. I, I got the, I I've just speaking to Malaga fans here, I know he's very, very well liked down here. So Yes. Um, and while you mention, um, can I, I, I've only just remembered this myself, and I might have mentioned it on the previous podcast, but uh, do you know what record him and Duncan Ferguson hold in Premier League history?
2: Uh, is it a hat trick of headers?
0: It is indeed. Yes. The only reason I know is because the hat trick of headers was against my beloved Swansea City. So, um, uh, yeah, that, that's always. I always but, think that's. Fun. But
3: he's 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 like the typical strong header guy.
0: <laughs> strong header guy.
3: Yeah, he's strong. He's, he's quite tall. He he's strong player who makes a lot of goals with his
0: head. Alex, do do, do you remember Rondón and Malaga? Or was it before your time too?
1: I, I do. It was about the time where I started getting into Malaga, but I remember him more in the Premier League. Uh, I think that's where I get my memories from. And yeah, as Chris said, he's that sort of... I don't know if target man is the right word, but he's that bloke up top that you have. And, you know, you can control the ball well. And, you know, heading was his special. yeah
0: um Yeah. And obviously, you, you're you the expert, Jordan. Like, we're going to talk about perhaps how these players are seen in Venezuela. But I think you mentioned in the book that the, the sort of... I get the impression Juan Arango is seen as the greatest Venezuelan footballer ever. Am I right in saying that?
2: In terms of, like, fulfilling his potential, um, Arango is is probably a lot of people's um, still favourite shout for best Venezuelan player uh, ever. Like, I think... When people like then try and get into semantics to like, f- like you know, sort of forge in their other suggestions, they say like Stalin Rivas uh, mm-hmm. was like the most talented Venezuelan player ever, but like he didn't. A lot of people feel like he didn't fulfil his potential, whereas um, Arango arguably did because he had those years with Mallorca, he had those years in Germany with uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach. So um, he he did a lot more for the Venezuelan game. Globally, than Stalin Rivas ended up. Rivas will always be remembered as the first Venezuelan to play in Europe, um, and is a mercurial talent. Like watch even now, like watching his um, highlights videos on YouTube, although they're bad quality, um, not just because it was like early '90s, but also the footage is is poor quality. He's still an absolute joy to watch. Um, so yeah, I think Juan Arango for now is still considered the best, but you know Rondon has got. This Copper America in him. The World Cup qualifiers, like, you know, if they qualify for Qatar, it would be for his goals. These are the kind of things that could usurp um, Arango's...
3: Is it, is it with uh, the all-time best footballers from a country or, I don't know, from a club, that um, when they're still active, they'll never are the best footballers ever?
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I understand.
0: I, I, so I think when
3: you <laughs> stop playing football because if you would ask now who's the play, best player for Argentina ever, everybody will say Maradona probably.
0: Possibly, yeah. I, I wouldn't. I would still say Messi, but <laughs> but that's um, that's that's a debate for another podcast, I think. Yeah, look, but no, because when when Rondon retires,
2: um, you know they got Jose Martinez, but highly different kind of striker. Um, and so like when Rondon retires or is no longer picked because he's not his best like you look to who's going to replace Rondon and, and, and right now um, you'd think his, his in terms of like body type and style of play the people that are most suited to replicating that are Danny Perez at Club Bruges who's only yeah. 19 years old and Eric Ramirez who's 22 and is in Slovakia um, so yeah I think that's actually a really good point like Rondon when he is no longer the national team maybe his, the appreciation that people have him will rise even more.
0: Yeah, it's, um, obviously I follow um, you on Twitter and I see your tweets from the FUTFA, or um, well, whoever tweets them out in that. The guy, I forgot his name, the guy from Club Bruges seems to pop up all the time doing good things. So um, do you, while you mentioned it, you said it'd be massive if Venezuela qualified for uh, the Qatar World Cup because they've never been to a World Cup. Do you think they will or they can?
2: I think they can for Qatar, um, but the the problem is the off field as always. Um, you know, for for qualifiers, it's the toughest qualifying system in the world, in my opinion. Um, there's ten countries competing, and five will uh, qualify. With the fifth having to still then play a, an extra qualifying round against another. Um, federation So I think If you just take Venezuela's best 11 And put it up Alongside the best 11's Of the other comparable countries I think Venezuela Sneaks in at fit um, The problems Are going to Hound them like, For example They had to play Two of their World Cup qualifiers Of the four They've already played Without Salomon Rondon because He was in China And with Covid They couldn't get him Over in time And it uh, It was a problem It's those kind of Off field Problems That will hamper Venezuela
0: yeah, let, let's get talking about some Malaga Venezuelans then. So, at the moment, we, we have two Venezuelans in our squad, in Josua Mejias and Alexander Gonzalez. What 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 do you know about those two players? And, and maybe you could give us some insight, how are they viewed in Venezuela, if you know?
2: Alexander Gonzalez is quite popular in Venezuela. Um, he's been in sort of like the unfortunate position that he's behind Roberto Rosales, who's been like Venezuela starting right back for like 10 years, uh, like a great... Um, and, you know, he's the dependable player.
0: And have uh, a former Malaga player as well.
2: <laughs> you'll know his virtues better than me, but, like, with Rondon and Rincón, those three R's uh, have been vital for the past 10 years for Venezuela. So, Alexander Gonzalez has been unlucky in that set. um But, you know, this time last year, um, there was hope that Gonzalez was finally going to get his chance at right-back, maybe, because Venezuela are weak at left-back and Roberto Gonzalez was being, has been left-back. And then he had that, you know, Gonzalez had the weird couple of weeks um, in in Bucharest before he then came over to Malaga. Uh, But it seems like he hasn't had the best season with you guys. Um, But he is very popular in in Venezuela. uh, And for a long time, his absence from the national team was put down to a mixture of not just Gonzalez being the number one right-back, but also, um, you know, external influences on who was selected for the national team, not having the right agent, not being in the right crowd. Um, uh, Josua, on the other hand, um, is viewed fairly differently in Venezuela. Like, he isn't a popular figure. Um, you know, he's had the the tag of being friends with Adalberto Peñaranda, who is just seen as a completely wasted talent in Venezuela. Um, and obviously, that that video of, of the two of them together um, earlier in the season doesn't help. He's seen as like, you know, this great talent who's just squandering it by being a bit of a numpty off the pitch um, <laughs> is one of the, is one of the schools of thoughts around that player. But it, a, a lot of people have wondered why he hasn't been called up to the Copper America preliminary Thank squad um, because he is a good player and he's had a decent season from my understanding. Um, and, you know, wait a do have three or four good centre-backs playing good level, um, but in terms of form, um, perhaps he should have been in that.
0: <laughs> yeah, Mejia, so, um, I'll, I'll ask the other two guys their opinion in a second, but we, we we do like our, we give Biz Nagas, which is essentially our Man of the Match awards, and we've given him quite a lot this season, and um, to be honest with you, I think Malaga have really missed him over the last few weeks when he's been injured. I, um, well, I,
3: I can understand what you said about Peña Randa, because he's also a former Malaga player, Um, and I used to see him all the time in the nightlife of uh, Malaga (laughs)
0: he was
3: he was more going out spending money and being drunk than 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 being a professional football player
0: yeah was was, was anything Jordan said there Chris does it surprise you because I think he's right we've Alexander started quite well for us didn't he but he's he's fallen but I don't think we dislike him do we I dislike him. I don't really think he's a good footballer,
3: go. <laughs> to be honest, in my
0: opinion. Uh, Alex, what about you? Because I think I think we've spoke about the virtues of Mahia's um, quite a lot on the podcast, but Alexander we haven't talked too much about recently. How, how would you rate him as a sign-in for Malaga?
1: I mean, like in the Venezuelan team, he's at an unfortunate time. He's also at an unfortunate time with Malaga because you've got Ivan Calero, Ismael Casas, Ale Benitez, who's just coming through, all fantastic right-backs. So he's got a lot of competition. And I think the performances haven't been at his best. I don't think, you know, I, I can tell that he has more to give, but I just don't think he's been able to perform to the highest level and, you know, whatever reason that is, because... but um, it, if I was to make a decision, I probably wouldn't renew his contract. I wouldn't have renewed his contract no. because I'm happy with the three that we've got at the moment.
3: Yeah, yeah which, are, which are much better. And I think Rosales, who's also a former Malaga player, is uh, way better than uh, Alexander.
0: Yeah, seems so. And then, obviously, another full um, um, I think we berated him quite a lot on our podcast when we started it, Chris. Uh, Mikel Vil- Vil- uh, Villanueva, I can say it then. Um, well, he's in America now, if I remember rightly. Yes, Portugal. Portugal. He's a star
2: in Portugal. He's oh. Had a good season.
0: As well, oh well, that's nice to hear. I suppose I still <laughs> remember the game last year where I think it was against Elche when we drew three three, and he had just absolute horror show. And I was I was standing in La Rosaleda next to a very 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 angry Scottish man who, yes, was was not a big fan of Mikel, to say the least. Um, yeah, because he's not. He, I think on, he's not very much liked in Malaga because after uh, COVID, when the season restarted after the lockdown here, he refused to play for a little bit, and then eventually he did play. Is he how's he viewed in Venezuela?
2: Yeah, so I think he. Uh, one thing is, is like obviously he can play centre back and left back, and i sort of question any coach that plays him at left back because you know he's huge and slow, um, and, I, and when he's a, a fairly decent centre back. Um, it's, it's a bit of a weird one But in terms of like hierarchy in the national team uh, He probably is Maybe fourth choice Based on raw ability I think the best two are Arguably Jordan Osorio Who is at Parma Unfortunately um, yeah. they've just been relegated um, Hopefully he will move It's a four year deal So hopefully he'll either move clubs or Parma will bounce straight back up yeah. um, After Osorio It'll probably be Wilker Angel uh, He's in, in Russia uh, and then the fourth would be John Chancellor, uh, who's a Brescia in City B, they're looking for promotion, um, and Mikel Villanueva. So uh, he's certainly always going to be in the national team as it stands, um, but he's not. I ne- don't think he's in the best partnership, you know, best two-man partnership. Having said that, he had some great performances at Copa America 2019.
0: Yeah, I, f- I forgot about John Chancellor. I love that name. Um I forgot to, uh, that, as soon as he said his name, I smiled, thinking, oh, what a great name. Um yeah, let's let's be honest. I'll be honest with the other two. When I suggested Gen Yuan, um, Jordan, um I think they both knew the main reason I wanted Yuan is because um I, I don't I still don't know why, but I do love Juanpi. So can we can we talk about Juanpi? Um tell me what you know about Juanpi. Is he liked in Venezuela? Because these two aren't his biggest fans, I don't think. <laughs>
2: Yeah, he is. He is liked, and I think one reason why he's liked is uh, comes from a, a football family in Venezuela. His brother Bernardo Añor, is also a footballer. Um, he won the title. Um, he was in the national teams prior to this year. Um, he's he's one of his older brother. Their dad, Bernard, also called Bernardo, uh, is a former Venezuela player. Um, so he comes from a football family. His dad's currently on like the for normalisation committee that's running the Venezuelan Football Federation and is a well-respected guy so he comes from like a football family in Venezuela uh, and you know he was in Europe from a young age uh, he was promising in the Venezuelan youth teams and he's one of those players that um, he's just always been in the national team like inoffensively he's one of those <laughs> players always get caught up he's reliable but also like I think part of his charm is that he's he's a, he's aesthetic to watch
0: yes that's exactly yeah. what I was trying to tell the others.
2: <laughs> yeah, like he's like, you know, I don't know if you remember, like when you're a kid reading those god awful FA handbooks <laughs> that sort of teach you how to play football. Like, you know, they teach you to pass the ball with your instep and follow through, and like, you know, when you take a uh, a set piece, keep your head down or the ball rise. Like all those basic, boring tips. Like Juan P plays football like he learned from a textbook. Uh, like he doesn't, enough, yeah. he doesn't do anything bad. He just yeah. does it every acceptably. And then every now and then he just, his creativity or his vision will go, oh yeah, like he's going to be great. He's sort of like, not, he, he's not a similar player to Jesse Lingard, but he's like mm-hmm. one of those players that you always think like, ah, he's got potential. He'll be good one yeah. day. And then like you realise actually he's, he's mid-20 now. Yeah. Uh, not a young prospect anymore. Um, but yeah, like he's just like a liked guy. And he's, he's doing, doing well at Al Ain in, in Saudi Arabia this year. Um, hasn't played for a couple months because they've not been playing yeah. um, but like yeah it it I was surprised that he ended up going there um, but from with a bit of insight one of the reasons why he was going there is he was a very well- paid player at Malaga he'd been there for many years like incrementally his wages had been going up mm-hmm. um, and he had like for a player that was coming out of the you know the, the not the top flight in Spain um, he had quite high salary demands that weren't going to be m- met elsewhere and even still he was taking quite a considerable wage cut
0: yeah yeah we um essentially we had to get rid of him because of salary caps and things like that and I think he was our best played player our best paid player sorry um yeah I told I love the Jesse Lingard comparison actually because that's I think that's why I liked him because he sort of teased you almost like you thought he's gonna come good and then eventually he scores um uh, a brilliant solo goal against Alcocon, which essentially kept Malaga up last season. Um, Chris, talk to me about Guampi. We haven't talked to him about him for a while. I know you're not his biggest fan.
3: It's a bit the way he walks around on the pitch, the way he acts. Never really seems very interested. Oh. Looks <laughs> like the rich boy who doesn't care much. Um... And he's the talent that, he has the talent, but it never really
0: came out. Alex, would you agree with uh, Chris's diagnosis there? In
1: in a way, yes. In a way, no. I think, you know, obviously he did show a particular amount of talent when he was at Malaga. And, you know, I I don't want to go as far as to say he's, uh, you know, reminds me of Ravel Morrison. But, you know, he has that talent. And I think he could have done a lot better. I think he potentially could have signed for a top La Liga club had he had that work ethic, had he had, you know, that consistency that, you know, top players do have. And, you know, I won't take it away from him. He is a good player, but I do definitely think there's some missing potential there that he could have fulfilled.
0: Yeah, this is it's, 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 it's um, as I always said on, I think, one of our early podcasts, if I get a dog, I'm going to call me a Juanfie, because I think it's a nice name for a dog really? Still. Yeah, yeah.
3: yeah, but yeah. for me, the best player of Venezuela is Joshua Mejillas. Yeah, and, um, in his defense, is in his defense, uh, Juanpi was a good friend or is a good friend of uh, Peña Randa as well. And uh, Juanpi is also a player I've seen multiple times in a nightlife of the Costa del
0: Sol, so. I, I enjoy watching his um on his Instagram at the moment is basically him doing yoga all the time, which he, he seems to love doing yoga. That that's fun to watch. Um yeah, i you know, I could talk about Juan Piolte. Let let's try and get away from it. Um so we'll start trying to wrap things up in a second, Jordan, but obviously Malaga seemed to like Venezuelans. Who who should we look out for as the future stars of Venezuela? We but you know, can we can they be cheap because we can't afford anyone? Yeah, I think like Malaga have just you know they've had eight Venezuelans
2: in their first team, then a couple more in their in their like B team. Like they had Ayrton Paez a couple of years ago, who they they sort of picked up from Mallorca. He's he spent nine years in Spain in total. We came through the Mallorca academy, having joined at fourteen. Um, so yeah, there's that 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 strong history. I think obviously there's Venezuelan agents with good connections with the Malaga um, owners or, or previous ownership. How that's fluctuated and changed over the past ten. 10 or so years but there's, there's definitely affordable talent in in Venezuela um, and I think Malaga are at the right level to maybe bring some of that talent over directly rather than these players going elsewhere first. Um, interestingly Jefferson Sabarino was linked with Malaga just in the past couple of days. Now he's an expensive player, the likely going direct to Malaga I think is low. I think it was just a useful link to make. Um, but he was, this Sabarino is at Letico Mineiro in Brazil, very creative player, very good player, was also linked with um, Granada and Villarreal. Um, I think only Villarreal are likely to be able to afford him, um, but there's definitely lots of good young talent. Um, John Adam Buru is an 18 year old defender who like, essentially can play anywhere across the back line. I think here settle was a right back because. Um, he's short he's not going to never tall enough to be a centre-back in Europe I don't think there's comparisons to, to Puyol um, you know the Barcelona legend and he benefits from having a Spanish passport he spent some time with Real Sociedad's academy a couple of years ago so he's a good player um, and there's other under 20 players in the current under 20 setup that you know have the ability to go straight to Europe we've seen Danny Perez go straight to Club Bruges heriel uh, De Santis go to Bao Vista in Portugal um, and there's there's more of the same. Um, Juan Tony Carmona's just gone to Atlético Mineiro. He's 18. Uh, looks like Mateus Lacava, who's also 18, is going to go to Cruzeiro in Brazil. Um, so there's lots of there's lots of young talent that are affordable for for Malaga as well. And a, a uniqueness to Venezuelan football is a lot of the players tend to only be on one year rolling contracts. Some of the younger players are on two year rolling contracts, but there's there's always opportunity to get players from Venezuela as it stands, a uh, fairly low cost.
0: Yeah, l- low cost is what Malaga need at the moment because we still have absolutely no money. So that sounds good. Um, just before I go towards my final question, um, Chris, Alex, anything you want to ask about our Venezuelan cohort or anything Venezuela based before we wrap things up? Mm. No. <laughs> OK, well, let's just go. Well, so, I, have, I
3: have a question. Do you go. think Michael Villanueva will play for, uh, on the, in the Copa de America
2: this summer? I, I almost certainly expect him to be in the 23-man squad, yes. Um, and I think, depending on Pecero, Jose Pesero, the coach, um, how he's going to play the defensive line, because he certainly was finding his feet in the first four games in charge. Um, may well use him uh, alongside Osorio if, for whatever reason, he doesn't think Chancellor's up to the job. But he's almost definitely on the plane.
3: And, and why isn't uh, Pompey on the list,
2: for example? Yeah, I, I, was, I was, you know, that was curious to me that he wasn't. Hmm. Um, it, it's, it's difficult because I think that's probably the area of the field where Venezuela are blessed with the most talent. They've got Jefferson Soteldo, who is, is just a joy to watch. Um, Sabarino... Darwin Machis, who's just you know got to the quarterfinals of the Europa League with Granada, so and that and John Murillo, another player who plays in Portugal. So it's a really tough area of the pitch to play. And as much as I think Quampi is like you know inoffensive to watch, I I just don't think he's one of the best players in that area of the pitch for Venezuela.
0: Yeah, it's not very good if uh, an offensive player is playing inoffensive. I suppose. Um, Right.
2: Yeah. First time. In, in a long time isn't going to be going to a national tournament.
0: Yeah, and actually, you know, I asked about the the chances chances of them qualifying for the World Cup. You know, have they got any chance with this Copa America? Can they do something there, do you think?
2: Um, it's, it's going to be interesting. I think when all the final lists are produced, and we know for certain that Colombia... Are or are not co-hosting it because obviously with the ongoing problems in Colombia that is tentative. Yeah. Um, I think I think the the setup of the Copa America this year with two groups um, and and the the group of Venezuela are in alongside Brazil, Colombia, Peru, and Ecuador. Um, you know Venezuela can look to finish third um, and qualify out of that group, uh, and then you know it's just the luck of the draw. After that, in 2019, they got Argentina in the second round. Uh, w- which is always tough you know 2011 10 years ago they they went out in the semi-finals to Paraguay on penalty after a nil-nil you know Paraguay managed to get all the way to the final barely scoring um so I don't don't expect Venezuela to win the Copa America I, I have no chance at all but I think with the right draw they can get to the semi-finals
0: excellent stuff um Jordan just first of all I would like to say a big thank you for joining us um I do urge people to go and read your book the re, you know I'm not just saying that because you've been nice enough to come on our podcast the reason I wanted you on our podcast is cuz I enjoyed the book so much so I've got to ask is do you have any plans to return to Venezuela
2: Yeah 100% um most definitely want to return um be it just for you know a couple of weeks or something more permanent um Ooh. But, uh, they're hosting the Copper, the Under Twenty Copper America, the Sudamericano, South American Championship yes. later this year, um, towards probably October onwards. Time, I'd love to go out, you know, for that. Um, and yeah, I, I, I certainly want to. I'm certainly not just ending my interest in Venezuelan football now. The books are out, kind of thing. Like I, I want to, to to stay involved in Venezuelan football.
0: Excellent stuff. We look forward to the sequel. then, maybe, um, Chris, Alex, anything you want to add before we go?
3: I think I
0: have to start reading a book. Then <laughs> there you go. There's you've you've made another sale. Um, yes, yeah, definitely, definitely do it, definitely do it Chris. Uh, Alex, are you going to be buying as well?
1: I definitely will. I mean, <laughs> I've, over the last, I think since starting this podcast, obviously, you know, having talked about Argentinian football and you know now Venezuelan football, I think my interest in South American football is steadily growing, and I think I'll definitely be watching most of the games in the Copa America, and definitely buying the book.
0: Excellent stuff. So I'll just I'll just finish Jordan by saying a big thank you for coming on. Do, do, do you want to give one last uh, sales pitch why people should buy the book? Where can we buy it? <laughs> <laughs>
3: uh, you can buy
2: you can buy it on Amazon um, or bigcartel.com. Um The the links are both on my Twitter. Um, but also, you know, in the next two weeks, maybe three weeks max, um, the the Spanish translation will be available as well. Um, that's almost certainly going to be available for Copper America. Um, but yeah, English or Spanish, um, Amazon physical as well as ebook. Excellent. Uh,
3: where, uh, 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 how can we follow you?
2: Uh, so on Twitter, I'm the False Libero, um, or Red Wine and Arepas is my, my tag. And I also run Footbait English, which is an English language Twitter account dedicated to Venezuelan football.
3: And is it, there anything else you want would like to show this <laughs> at the moment?
2: No, no.
0: Uh, and one, <laughs> one more question, because I've forgotten the answer to it. And Alex asked earlier. Um, I, I think you mentioned at the start of the book, what is an arepa? I've forgotten. Okay. So
2: an arepa is like um, sort of like a bread kind of product. It's made with um, maize as opposed to flour, but it's like a sort of shaped like this. And um, it, it's just sliced open and stuffed full of, of different fillings. The most popular arepa in Venezuela is the reina pepeada, uh, which is basically shredded chicken and blended avocado together. Uh, but yeah, they, it, they have, big ones as, like, main meals, or they have, like, smaller ones as snacks, but, like, they they basically eat them every day, it's like the the food of Venezuela.
0: Excellent stuff, right, so I will just say a big thank you to Alex and Chris, as always, but an even bigger thank you to you for joining us, Jordan, buy the book, etc., and, you know, subscribe to our podcast and follow and all that sort of stuff, which, Chris, Chris, do you want to say your usual thing? Yes, I'm going to sit for it. (laughs)
3: Um, Follow us, Buy merchandise. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Facebook. Subscribe on YouTube. Don't forget to press the bell uh, button. Um, swipe right.
0: Yeah. On you right this time, not left on Tinder, yeah.
3: <laughs> swipe left or right on Grinder. <laughs> and swipe down to clean your ass.
0: There you go. Lovely, eloquent as ever. So thank you everyone for listening to. You've been listening to the Cast on Sport Direct Radio. Vamos Malaga, vamos Venezuela as well this week, and adios.